following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your good news. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being that good news and uh, for being willing to race to our distress, to our brokenness and our, to our emptiness and to be the one that would fill us, transform and heal us, that you would build a bridge that no one else could back to the Father, intimacy with your Father and make him the God of the universe, our Father. And only you can do this. And we're so grateful that you did. We're so, we're so blown away that you would. That your love would expand to that degree and would reach into the, the, the darkness and the brokenness of humanity that rebelled and dishonored you and you would rescue us in love back to yourself so that we might experience your love and be the conduit of that very love back to this hurting world. Lord, let that be true of us. Let that be the, the, the reality of, our, uh, of us as the church. Father, I pray that you minister to hearts that have lost loved ones in recent days, that you would comfort them, that you would strengthen and heal. Father, we celebrate life and we pray for, for hope as she just seeks to, um, to be a mama to this precious little one that has come into the world with so many needs and, uh, and so, much, uh, so much in front of her as far as surgeries. I just pray that you help us to minister to her. Uh, we thank you for, for Hope House and for what you're doing there and what you're forming and, and preparing and how you birth these things in hearts for, for the greater work that you have for us to do. Lord, we just thank you for your love, your kindness for this day, for the healing that you're doing and will do. Uh, Father, we petition you for a glorious work and that you would have our hearts and hands, mouths and lives to see it through. Uh, Father, I pray that your word would go forth in power today. Holy Spirit, that you would, that you would, that you would sink these, this seed of truth into our hearts so that we would live it with tenacity and vigor and resolve perseverance lord that that we would be the light of the world and the salt of the earth that that wouldn't just be something that is a concept in our life but that is the reality of who we are as yours and the extension of your love thank you lord jesus that you are the true vine and we are simply branches and it's your fruit holy spirit so would you manifest that fruit of love joy peace patience kindness goodness gentleness faithfulness and self-control through our lives and may the, may the outcome of this teaching today cause us to see you more clearly, love you more dearly, and follow you more nearly. Let that be true of the outcome of this message. Holy Spirit, would you do that work? I, th I pray that specifically we would learn to be extravagant, humble worshipers and that we would see you for who you are and love you the way that we should. Please open our hearts to this work. Only you can do it, Lord. Only you can. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, for we acknowledge that you are our rock and our redeemer, and we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me. We're in the Gospel of Luke. That's uh, where we're, uh, we've been for some time, and we will be for some time. This has been such a joyful journey. Um, we are in chapter 7. We are finishing up chapter 7 in verses 36 to 50. Uh, this is an amazing encounter. We've talked about a centurion that has petitioned Jesus, acknowledging his power and his authority to heal by his spoken, by just saying the word. Um, we had, uh, we've had so many wonderful messages leading up to this, and then today we're going to look at um, a Pharisee named Simon that invites Jesus to come into his home, um, and the, a woman of the city, uh, a woman that is declared to be a sinner by her reputation, uh, comes into this gathering and, and really is the one that teaches them who Jesus is and how we should relate to him. 
uh, it gives us this beautiful picture of extravagant love and worship. Shows us that if we really see Jesus for who he is, there's no way that we could be casual about our lives any longer as it relates to how we love him and love others. Does that make sense? Like it's opening our eyes. So I've titled this morning's sermon, Seeing Jesus. And, uh, and really, you know, as I, as I pondered and meditated on this passage for the last couple of weeks, and really as the Lord just sowed it into my heart and seeped it into my, into, it's just, it's changed me. And I I hope that this will be the same experience for you today. Um, But the the conclusion I had after reading through this passage, uh, which was not my initial, you know, perception, because, you know, every time, you know, I, I have the privilege to, to prepare a message, you know, it's, it's just, it's, for me, it's just read the passage, meditate on the passage, read the, let the passage read me, like just begin to just let it. And then it's, you know, you, you want to come up with a title, but this isn't what leapt off the page until weeks, you know, like, because this, but, but I truly believe this, this is it. It's seeing Jesus that changes everything everything it it changes who we are it never changes who he is but who he is changes to us because we're the ones that have kind of minimized his deity and the wonder and the the awe of who he is does that make sense asked in class this morning after we really dove into the text you know what is the what what is the example of your own life as it relates to this? Alex had some just a rich thing to say. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever did this as kids, but like you see something at a distance and you're like, you know, you can put it in the, you know, there and, you know, um, and, you know, think about like the Eiffel Tower at a certain distance, man, you could just, you know, it could be put into that perspective. But as you get closer and closer and closer to it, and isn't that the same in our life with Jesus? The, the, the closer that we get to him, the, the bigger he gets, not because he wasn't already big, <laughs> but, but what happens is we, we get smaller too. We become more humble and more aware of the grandeur, the wonder, the greatness of God. And, and Jesus is no longer this, this, this rogue rabbi from Nazareth or, or Mary or Joseph's boy. That he is, He's Emmanuel, God with us. Right? He's, he's the incarnate God that took on skin to, to, to rescue our souls and to reach into our, our, our dark and broken lives and to, and to bring us back into fellowship. Like, and, and, and why did he do any of that? Of. And so it makes sense that, that what we do in response is we love him. We love him, right? And our, and our, 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 our love grows as we, as we become more intimate and we, we come to know him for who he is, not who we want him to be or have perceived him to be, but who he is, seeing Jesus. So let's read the passage together because you're probably going... Wow, where's all that? You know, like, um, but, but let's just read through this and kind of, guys, and I always challenge you, kind of put yourself in the moment. Put yourself in the text. This is not a story. It's not fictional on any level. This is an historical narrative. This is an eyewitness testimony as this book opens to say Luke went and, and got an orderly account and sought eyewitness testimony in order. And then we're, we're so blessed to have this. You know, and then we're, we're, we're for, further blessed in that the Holy Spirit is teaching it to us and writing it on our hearts as we listen with the intent to know him. This is a love letter. This is God opening his heart to us, revealing his son to us. Don't see it any other way. And so here we go. We're in Luke seven thirty six to 50, the last 15 verses of this amazing chapter. And, uh, and we open in verse 36. It says this. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, him being Jesus. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment or perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair, 
with the hair of her head and kiss his feet and anoint them, being his feet, with the ointment. Now the Pharisee who had invited him saw this. He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who or what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom, the, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time that I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, I think sometimes we, uh, I think it's to our benefit to really embrace the the wonder, uh, how profound this moment is if we kind of put it in, in, in our own context, right? Because if you really look at this passage, doesn't it seem like an extreme expression of affection and love. We know that this is worship. Uh, We know that this is an expression of worship. She doesn't come with empty hands. She brings an alabaster jar of perfume or ointment. She has an agenda here. She's coming to worship what she's come to know. And many in the room don't who she's come to know. And, uh, but but I want you to imagine like you're at a dinner party, right? And, uh, and, and someone comes in and, and, uh, and, and breaks all social protocols and, and overcomes their own, their own uh, social stigmas and, and uh, is willing to, to humble themselves to this degree and, and express such lavish love and worship and, and adoration and and you would imagine that most of the people in the room, you know, think that this is a bit extreme. Like, he's just a man. He's just a, a rogue teacher from, from Nazareth. Like, like, I mean, can you imagine the different conversations that are going on in different people's heads? And, and who does she think she is? She's a woman of the city. She's, she's a sinner. Like, why, why is she touch? I mean, depending on their posture and their, their circumstance or ultimately because depending on their heart. But this is an extreme expression of wonder, affirmation, worship, adoration. And, and as I asked you this morning, like, like, is it, is it appropriate for who she's doing it to? Does it even fall short of what should be done for him? And the question we have to ask, is this, is this true of us? Do we lay aside any, any perception of other pride that's in our life in order to love Jesus extravagantly with, at whatever cost to, to show him our affection and love, what he's, what he's done for us? Like, what, what, what is he worthy of in your life? Like, of your life? for what he has done for us and, and ultimately who he is. I have five questions for you. And I, and I think it's appropriate because Jesus asked a lot of questions, didn't he? And, and in doing that, Jesus was, was, was really trying to search the heart. 
So search your heart this morning and, and the Holy Spirit will help. Does how you see Jesus matter? I think it's everything. I think there are theologians that have stated that how we see God changes our entire life. Like it, it, that's, how we, that, that's, that's what we live from. C.S. Lewis said that, look, you're either going to deem him liar, lunatic, or Lord. Jesus made some pretty significant statements. And there's no way you can just put him in the category of a prophet or even a good prophet, though Moses said he would be the greater, right? But because he clearly, emphatically, constantly says, I'm he, Messiah's here, Emmanuel's on the planet, God in skin, and I'm the guy. I am. He stated these things. And so he either is who he is, and if that's the case, my, my conclusion is he is worthy of our lives, all of its affection. He's the pearl of great price. It's worth selling the farm for, right? Giving your life to. That's what Jesus says. And until we, we come there, we don't really even know. The, and it's a process. It's a journey. I want to acknowledge that. But, but man, this is, this is where it's at. It's just it's having this extravagant like, because how we see him is how we live to him and for him. Does how we see Jesus matter? See, the Pharisee didn't even qualify him as prophet, and her faith in him moved her to humble, lavish, extravagant worship. How do you see Jesus? I want you to really think about that this morning. How do you see him? Have you ascribed to him the, 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 the things he has stated about who he is and accepted that as, as reality, as your truth? Have you believed him at his word? You know, Jesus said this. He says, Philip, that's John 14. He says, when you've seen me, you've seen the, like if, like he, he showed us the father, right? Like so, <laughs> that's a pretty powerful statement. Like he's saying like, I depicted the father to you on earth. I was an example to you, but, but I came to represent the father, to reflect him in all that I've done. So now you know him is what he was saying. And so like if, if Jesus came representing the father, the, the God himself in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. Jesus was the word. He, he came and abound and abided with us. Like, then what is he worthy of in response to what he's done for you, for you? What kind of worship would be appropriate for Jesus in your life? And then I want to say that in light of this, because sometimes we, see, we hear worship and we don't even call this worship. We call it Sunday celebration because in Romans 12, 1, it says, therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your lives as a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. Offer your bodies. That's what Jesus did. Living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God for this is your spiritual act of that's what worship is. Right? Worship is not a song though that when we sing we worship and it is an expression of worship and profound in its nature. But worship is, is what we do with our bodies, our lives in response to what Jesus has already done for us. And, and even more so, it's just who he is. It's in response to who he is. So let me ask a few more questions. Does it affect how you see Jesus? Does it affect how you treat others? I think it to- primarily affects. I think it totally affects. How you treat others is a reflection of how you see him. We see it in the text. We'll unpack that. How many of you have, uh, uh, let me ask you another question. How much have you been forgiven of? Say it again. Everything. It's, it's a total work, right? It is finished, paid in full. Like it's complete. And, and you've, the other thing is we've been ushered back into the presence of the Father. We've been adopted and he says, our Father. That's, cr- what? 
He's, he's done that. He's given us the right to be called children of God, and that is what we are. Lavished, loved, like that's... But, but we, we've got we've to embrace that. We've gotta, I mean, are there kids that have been, embraced, that have been, that have been adopted that have struggled with their adoption? And whether they're loved or not? Man, we've got to come to a place that we acknowledge we've been adopted and we, are, we embrace that because it depicts the reality of his love for us. How much have you been forgiven of? Has your life been an offering of worship? These are questions that I think just for me came out of the passage that I had to ask myself. Has your life, is your life, is it an offering of worship? Are we bringing ourselves uh, to the throne of grace? Are we, are we putting ourselves on that, that altar, as Romans 12 talks about, in view of his mercy as a living sacrifice? So let's, let's, let's work through the passage together because I've re... We, Marty and I have spent some time and, and we've we restructured the, the worship service in order to, to, to do our worship through song at the end so that we could, we could practice some of this. Okay, this morning, we've, we've, that's why the sermon's a little bit up front today. Um, so Luke, Luke 7.36 says this, one of the Pharisees, what? One of the Pharisees asks him to eat with him. Now, this is a Galilean Pharisee, not a Judean Pharisee. There is a difference. Um, but he is inviting him into his home. That's unusual, right? That kind of stands out. We have a, like it or not, we have a perception of Pharisees and often it's not good. Um, And sometimes we're that Pharisee and it's not good. But here's a Pharisee that we get to know by name. Jesus is the one that reveals his name because he knows us by name and that's a sweet thing. You know, uh, Rob pointed out, which I love this morning, that, you know, Luke went to painstaking effort in order to get eyewitnesses, including Mary herself. And the the text lends to the fact that the only way that you can know what a person says to himself is to talk to that person, right? So that would lend to the fact that that there's, there's a significant change. You know that is that is that has happened in this man to 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 share this information with Luke. So one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. He went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. Uh, I want to mention this because it, it gets confusing. We sit at a table and our feet are where under the table because we sit in chairs, which isn't really good for our back, my back anyway. So in in in, in first century Jewish culture, they would they would recline at a table on their elbow. Tables were obviously lower. It was kind of a couch or pillows. And their feet would be at their at, behind them. Okay, so that's helpful for to understand kind of what's happening in this in this context. But a Pharisee is invited him into his his home. We can only speculate, and I don't think that's always a good idea, uh, what his intentions or motives are. Verse thirty seven and thirty eight it says this and behold, listen, this word means a woman of the city who was a sinner, and I love that it says who was a sinner. When she learned that he, Jesus, was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Well, I don't want to go too much further because there's so much here to unpack. You know, some translations actually go all the way and say this woman was a prostitute. Um, I don't think that's fair to the original language. What we know is she had a a reputation of, of immoral actions that preceded her. Right within her town, she was known as, and we find out later that Jesus actually said, "Though her sins are many," so it's not a perception; it's it's a truth. Um, and so this is a, a woman that has, um, and and this is the other thing we must understand too. This is a woman that has experienced either min- ministry, miracle, touch of some kind from Jesus, because she has seen him for who he is. She's coming with all the right intentions, coming, bringing an offering to the Lord, in, in, in anointing him, which is what you, is usually done for kings, right? Or a high spiritual office. And, and so, you know, he, th- this, is, this is someone who was a sinner, 
who has been touched by Jesus, who has, Jesus has done a work in her life because she's coming with this attitude of worship. But her reputation, do we find that sometimes? That sometimes we call people things that is no longer true. Hello, I'm so-and-so, I'm an alcoholic. Is that really true if you're in Christ and a new creation? Should we label ourselves or others um, that are in Christ if they're a new creation? Should, should we even do that for those that, that are, that, I mean, th- does it fare? Like we, we, we put identities on folks. She's, she was a sinner. And so, so oftentimes culture, people, us, we don't let people outlive their, their past. When Jesus is all about brighter futures and healing and covering and forsaking. As far as the east is from the west, so far as I've removed your transgressions from you. This is our God. This is what he longs to do, is to give us a, a, his mercies are new every morning. And so behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining, at he, when she learned where Jesus was, she wanted to be where Jesus was. In the Pharisee's eye, and it didn't matter that it didn't matter to her what her love for him, her, her pursuit of worshiping him, uh, overcame all of her her social issues, which you can imagine how difficult. She she came into a place which I, I'm going to tell you she was not an invited guest, and she was probably not welcomed. But wh- how did she get there then? So here we have to understand this. So Pharisees would have courtyard gatherings uh, or gatherings in their homes. But there would be, um, there would be folks that would be invited for, for the meal and would sit at the table. But there would always be uh, the opportunity for spectators. And this was a part of their teaching regiment so that others could benefit from the conversations that would happen around the table. And it was a form of discipleship. Does that make sense? And so folks were, uh, were invited, not, no, uninvited, but welcome to come and kind of be a part, not to contribute, not to eat, but to, but to listen and to glean. And, uh, and so she comes into this context. Uh, but you've got to know that there's, there, it's kind of like she has to overcome that her reputation uh, doesn't, doesn't uh, bring, uh, you know, social you know, welcoming that, that all she has to overcome all of that. And, and something has to be bigger than all of those things in our life in order for us to, to, to move forward in a, in a, in a place of worship and trust and healing. And so uh, when she learned that he, he was reclining at a table in the Pharisee's house, she brought, okay, so just to unpack, unpack this, she's intentionally coming to worship. She's not coming with empty hands. And guys, let me say that we shouldn't ever either. We should, our lives should always be, like, do you know that the things that God has entrusted into our lives are all meant to be things that we worship him with? Everything, our heart, our lives, every resource that's given to us has the intention to worship, to, I mean, you see all the, the, the offerings in the Old Testament. They, they never came to worship with empty hands. They always came bringing finances or, or, or byproduct of, their, of God's provision. But it was always, they always came ready to worship and, and had something to give as an expression of the gratitude and the thanksgiving um, of, in their hearts. Uh, there's an alabaster flask. What is alabaster? Something that's not common to our culture. It's, it's, a, it's a hard stone jar or flask. Uh, it comes from gypsum, so it can have a, a variety of colors, very beautiful, often polished. Uh, when I researched this, um, there was a flask that was about this big, very narrow. I showed this to Lisette at staff meeting. Uh, and, and there are varied prices for these based on the content, and, and, and then the flask itself is obvious. But the, the first one that came up on my phone was $35,000. It was about this big about this high and just a long. They were often made with a, a long neck. And the idea was that you would break the neck in order to expose the content. 
uh, Jewish women would wear uh, one of these little tiny flasks around their neck with a cord and uh, it would be opened as a way of, instead of wearing perfume, it would kind of be a fragrance around their neck, um, but it was very small and tiny. But she, she comes with an offering. She brings it. It's intentional. She's overcoming so many social issues. She's over, but, but she is driven, motivated by just the wonder of who he is and what he's worthy of as far as uh, from her perspective. The ointment here is also trans, uh, translated perfume, um, but it's an anointing from her perspective. That she's, she's standing behind him at his feet. Okay, so just, just imagine the moment. She's standing behind him at his feet, weeping, and she begins to wet his feet with her tears. Now, she wouldn't have forecasted for this. This is, you know, emotions sometimes get the better of us, especially when we're in that, that moment. And, and, and now she's, her tears are so profound that his feet are being wet by them. She, she gets down, which is such a picture of, of worship and humility, and she begins to use her hair to wipe Jesus' feet. Guys, I, I really want you to realize that, that these are people, that this is not, this is not, this is, this is historical narrative. This is Jesus, God on the planet, and people relating to him because of what he's done and who he is. And it says, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair. You know, in, 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 uh, in Second Corinthians, no, First Corinthians 11, it talks about the long hair of a woman being the glory of the woman. You know, like, I mean, this is, for a woman, this is a, this is a humble sacrifice. This is, a, this is deep humility and, and gratitude and worship uh, of her head, so we know where, which hair, and, and kisses and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Okay, just a couple of pieces here. One, um, we know based on what Jesus says later that these were dirty feet. Because he had been given no water. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Because that has a lot to do with how Simon sees Jesus. And, uh, and it's interesting that, so the, it is irrelevant of how dirty his feet are. She's going to worship. Are you already there with me? <laughs> it's, it's irrelevant of how dirty it is. I'm going to worship Jesus. I'm going to love Jesus. What did Jesus say? He said, when you do it to the least of these brothers of mine, you do it to me. I hope you see that. The other piece is, is she, he says later, since, ever since I sat down, Jesus' words, she has not stopped kissing my feet. Guys, I want you to know that these are unwashed feet and she doesn't care. There's, some, there's something more profound in her heart. There's, I mean, if you've had kids... You know, I haven't, but I, it just seems like, man, love overcomes a lot, doesn't it? Love will overcome anything, you know? I'll never change a dirty... Like, love overcomes a lot, right? Like, um, and then it's with perfume or ointment, and he, she anoints his feet. Why? Because she wouldn't dare anoint his head. That's the role of a priest, right? And, and, and... And, but by all intents and purposes, what she is doing is she is declaring in herself, you're my king. You're my priest. Like she is serving him and, and his feet had yet to be washed. And who, if, if, the, if this house was a house of means, which you can assume it was, like who washes feet? So what is she saying to him? Like, this is so beautiful. Isn't it beautiful? Like, isn't it just glorious? Like, it's so ideal. Like, and everybody else in the room, much like it is in, in the average church around the world, especially in America, there are all kinds of people in the, in, in, in the room, right? There are, there, are, there are skeptics. There are, there are antagonists. There are, there, are, there are wanderers, seekers, right? But there's this worshiper that doesn't care what anybody else thinks I'm going to love Jesus and I'm going to show him how much I love him and what he means to me and how I see him. 
And, it, and I just don't care what he, David said, I can be even more undignified than this. It just makes me want to cry. So I had some thoughts. I wrote them down. I'll share them with you. As the Pharisee sits in Jesus' presence with a critical spirit, this woman of the city surrenders, adores, and humbly, through repentative tears, worships him. She wipes Jesus' unwashed feet with her hair. She's and Simon waits to be served, and she serves the Lord. That's so, what a contrast. You know, like, and, and the word serve is interchangeably used in the Hebrew language with another word, what is it? Serve or worship. We, we need, we're we're going to go to the deserts and serve, worship the Lord. And that's exactly what she was doing. So I have a question for you in a series of questions this morning. Can you imagine being an uninvited guest in a religious, and I want you to try to make this more contemporary. Can you imagine being an uninvited guest in a religious leader's home who would not be celebrated, would not be celebrating your presence and without words or concern for others' perceptions or knowing how Jesus might respond to you, uh, humbly and extravagantly love on him in extreme worship at great cost? Because that's what's going on here. It seems that her objective was to anoint his feet, but her tears preceded her offering, so she humbly wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. And this is my thought. Pride and perceptions of others will often keep us from loving God the way that we should. Can I say that again? Pride and perception of others will often keep us from loving God the way that we should. See, usually perfume was used to anoint the head, but she didn't want to get any closer to the table. To wash Jesus' feet was a sign of deep humility. It was the job of a slave, as we mentioned. Here's another thing I want to mention that the Lord just put in my heart. Remember when it says that, you know, that, that, that uh, in the parable where Jesus talks about sending the invitations out and then everybody's busy and then he says, send them to, the, to, to, to everybody, anybody, and... Um, and it says, so that they might come from every walk of life, every nation, culture, right? And sit at the table. Do you know, do you know, like, if you really think about it, she's the one sitting at the table with Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like, in, in the intimacy of what's happening here, she's the one that's going to sit at the eternal table because of how she worships him. I love that. Verse 39, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, okay, so whether this is just mumble or just thought, we know that it was something that that was self-reflective. He says, if this man were a prophet, oh boy, he's really underestimated Jesus, right? He would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him for she is a sinner. See, like the average rabbi would not permit himself to be touched by an unclean person. But this was no average rabbi. Jesus touched, don't miss this. Jesus touched, this is one of the biggest things that the Lord spoke to me along the way. Jesus touched and was touched by our sin in order to rescue us from it. It's what we call incarnation. Do, do, do we even realize what Jesus left because what he left, he purchased us too. Like the Father's presence, right? Like, but like we, we have no idea how wonderful what Jesus has kind of left, right? To purchase us too. But then he came into our muck, mire, brokenness, pain, sorrow, rebellion. And the other thing we underestimate is how dark it is. How dark our circumstances were. How dark our hearts were, right? But that chasm that he that he that abyss that he leapt across in order to bring holiness to the planet, that God would be with us. No man could do that. You know, only Jesus could do that. And he did. And we call this incarnation. So the question I ask now is, are you living an incarnational life? Are you, are you, you know, if you invite those who invite you 
to dinner, like what? You know, like invite those who can invite you back, right? Like do for others what, who, who can't do for you. Like, you know, are you living an incarnational life? Are you leaving the, all of it so that you can bring the, the wonder, the love, the grace, the truth of God to, to someone else's broken context? Because that's ultimately, that's the big picture of what Jesus did for us. And now he's made us his own. He's planted his kingdom in us. The, the heaven is on earth. Did you know that? Right now, heaven's on earth. Where is it? It's in our midst. It's in us. Because the Holy Spirit, wherever God is, heaven is, right? The Holy Spirit, is he God? Where is he? Where's heaven? Right? And so the, the kingdom of heaven is in our midst, right? And so what, what he wants us to do is to bring the kingdom to the world. That's what he did. You will do even greater things, scope of ministry, than what I've done. Isn't that awesome? But are you living an incarnational life? Are you living like, man, you know, there are people that have just sold out of of affluence just so that, I mean, you know, quickly we can all have a reference point for Mother Teresa. Right? Right? We are never going to be the hands and feet of Christ if we look down on others and fail to look up to him. Does that make sense? Simon had no concern for this poor woman's dilemma, no longing to lift her from her broken life and to help her become a godly woman. He simply judged her, pushing her aside and presumed that any other rabbi would do the exact same. And Jesus says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And I, I've kind of wrestled with what's the inflection here. Simon, I have something to say to you. Like, I, you know, like I, I would love to have known how Jesus said that, you know, but I know it was filled with love. You know that, right? You know that it was, it was gentle and loving and, you know, like he felt loved and confronted at the same time and it was like a paradox, you know, like, and he said, say it, teacher. I, where's the inflection there? Now that Simon had summed up, this is my thoughts, now that Simon, now that, Simon had summed up Jesus and elevated himself to a pious position. Jesus had a question for him. Are there questions Jesus might ask you? That's what I thought. Like, is there questions that he would? I'm sure there's a lot of questions he would ask me. But are there questions that he would ask you? So I pondered. Here's some questions that Jesus might ask us, were you a sinner saved by grace too? Have you overestimated your own righteousness? Jesus might say this, I know your heart, but do you really know theirs? Has what I've, you might say this, what, has what I've done for you translated to others? And finally, from John 8, might he say, you without sin cast the first stone. So then Jesus asks his question. I mean, Simon did say, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. What's a denarii? It's a day's wage. So that's about two and a half months salary, if you can put that in perspective. And he says, and the other, I'm sorry, 500 denarii is about 25 months. So a year and a month, or two years and a month wages. Significant, right? Put that in your own context. Um, and then another one had 50 denarii, what he owed, which is about two and a half months wages. When they could not pay. So here's where he's pointing to you and me. Like we had a debt we could not pay. Could not pay. We, we couldn't do it. And, and we might not have known it, just like in Matthew 18 when he says, but I'll pay you back. Yeah, right. 10,000 annual wages. Good luck. Right? Like, but he says, when they could not pay, 
He canceled the debt of both. Now, as much as he's trying to point out contrast here, it's, it's, it's a point we must ponder because this is exactly what Jesus did for us. And what he says happens to those who have their debt canceled, forgiven completely, is that their response is what? What does the text say? Love. That's what he says. And in John 14, 21, 23, on through the balance of that chapter, it tells us that Jesus, his, like God tells us his own love language. He tells us his love language. He says, my love language is that you obey my commandments. And if you do that, that's, how, that's when I feel loved. I will also reveal myself to you. Promise, right? So here we see this contrast of amounts that are forgiven, right? And he says, when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, this is the question he asks of Simon. Now, which of them will love him more? Well, you know, mom and I talked about this and she, she had a, you know, a good conclusion. She's like, well, they should both love him, right? Yeah. But there, Jesus is obviously even validates Simon's, Simon's conclusion is the one that had the greater debt. Guys, how much is Jesus forgiving you of? Can you quantify that? Like, like I love what was shared this morning, in, in, and I believe it was Alex said, you know, like more and more the closer I get to him, the more I realize like who he is and his, his heart for me the more I realize the, the magnitude of what he has, the debt that he's canceled for me. Jesus is in this moment, I believe, is putting a mirror in front of Simon and showing him the darkness of his own heart and his self-righteousness. This is exactly what God's word does for us. Have you realized that? That's what God's word does. It, it, I'll give you an example. James chapter 1, verse 23 specifically says this. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He's talking about the perfect word of God. For he looks at himself and goes away and forgets what he looks like. But, for, but the ones who look into the perfect law, which gives freedom or liberty, the law of liberty, and continues to do it, the NIV says, or perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but the doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doings. So God's word, have you noticed that over the, your journey with the Lord? It's so important that we're in God's word because this question that Jesus is asking of, uh, and, and the reason why Jesus is asking this question of Simon is the very work of God's word in our life. It investigates our heart. It puts a mirror because what does is, what is the scriptures reveal? Him, right? And so what we see is Jesus and then it reveals our imperfections, but it also reveals the remedy for our imperfections, the gospel. Back to the text, I asked this question. Um, I'll, I'm gonna finish verse 45 and 46. This is what it says. Um, where I, I've lost my place. Oh, here we go. So I did want to ask a question. So the question is this. How do you respond to others who are caught in public sin? Because that's what's happening here. I'm just trying to be super practical about, I think, what, what the Lord wants us to understand. Like when, when someone is caught in public sin, are, are, how do you respond to that? Are you more pharisaical or Christ-like? Ideally, this is what my conclusion is. Ideally, we point them to Christ and his cross. That's, that's the only remedy. That's the only hope. Verse 43, Simon answered, the one, I suppose, to whom the cancel, uh, he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. And then in verse 44, he says, then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Now, I got to tell you that the earlier part of preparation for this, this is what like flew off the page for me. Because the truth is, 
He didn't see this woman. He just saw her sin. Does that make sense? And guys, do we see people for who, I mean, do we have the eyes of Christ? Do we, do we long for that perspective? My thoughts were this. Simon saw the sin. Jesus saw the sinner. Simon saw the, the, uh, the offenses. Jesus saw her need. Simon saw the depth of her depravity. Jesus saw the magnitude of her love. How do you see? Because Simon didn't see her. He didn't. And that question was asked. And then Jesus continued, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. Do you know what that is? Like, like this is so huge. Like, it, it's, it's normal social protocol. We have protocols within our culture that if someone, if a guest is coming to your home, you provide water and a towel at the very bare minimum. Ideally, depending on who the individual is and how you uh, see them or relate to them, you might even be the one to wash their feet if you're not a person of great means. But if you're a person of means, you might have a servant or two that would help with that process. And Jesus says, you gave me no water. Now, doesn't that speak to how Simon sees Jesus? Because if this was, if he saw Jesus for who he was, do you think he would have been washing his feet? Do you think he would have provided? If someone's coming to your house and you think that they're uh, someone that you honor and respect greatly, you're throwing out the red carpet. This really speaks to how Simon sees Jesus. You gave me no water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head as a spiritual leader with oil, declaring me your king, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. The fact that Simon, to my point again, gave Jesus no water for his feet, kiss or anointed him, communicates how he saw Jesus. And, and I pause here for this comment is that, guys, our life will depict what we worship or who we worship. Our actions really speak to what we love and what we prioritize and what we Declare worthy. Verse 47, therefore, here's the conclusion. I tell you, Jesus says, her sins, which are many. And this is important because Jesus didn't overlook her sin. He covered it. Which are many are forgiven. For she loved, and I would interject here, she loved me much. But he who is forgiven little, loves me and others little. Does that make sense? Does that help to unpack a little bit? Like when we don't acknowledge what Christ has done, when we think very little of our sin and so much more of other people's sin, when we think we're better, because you know, like when, when we're measuring ourselves to ourselves, we're told it's unwise, right? We're told the scripture says that. But like, it's, it's like, it's like, we're, we're measuring our little drop to their little drop in context of the ocean. Like in comparison to how unholy we are in, in comparison to his righteousness and holiness. <laughs> really? We're measuring, it's, it's microscopic in comparison to like, now are there consequences that are different? Their sin is greater? Yes. But that's between, that's between them and the Lord. We just have to understand that our sin was great but his grace was greater. Like that's so important. Is anyone forgiven little? This was my question. Is anyone forgiven little? I don't think that's the point at all. That's self-perception, right? As, or is it that, our in, it's, that it's our inaccurate self-perception? Because how big was the cross in your life? How significant was the grace of God demonstrated through the sacrifice of Christ in your life? What did it purchase you from and to? Do, do, do we have uh, just an awe of what, of, how could you do this? How could you do this for me? Or, I'm glad you did that for me. Thanks. You know, like, I mean, what's our, 
And, and this is another thought. Pride and self-righteousness lives in inaccurate self-perception. It is so important that we have an accurate perception of ourselves, and that is the work of the Holy Spirit in a humble, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, in a humble, yielded heart that is quick to respond to conviction with repentance. Like, that's how we change. By, by just submitting to his word, by agreeing with his, his intentions, his heart, his perspective, and then yielding to it in a, in a moment of repentance. And the Holy Spirit is so faithful to give us conviction. It's a gift. The woman's love didn't save her. Please don't, 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 don't conclude that. It is what her love demonstrated that saved her. What did all this demonstrate? right? Her faith in Jesus as the Christ. In contrast, self-righteous people think they have no sin that needs to be forgiven or that their sin isn't that big of a deal in comparison. So they also have little love to show for it. What did God do for you at the cross? What did Jesus purchase you from and to? Have you really thought about what he's done. God bless you. Verse 48, he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those at the table uh, with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Whether that's a statement of, of faith or doubt, we don't know, but it's probably both. It's probably both. And he said to the woman, let me be clear. Your faith has saved you. Go in what? Isn't that the byproduct? right? Isn't that the fruit of the saving work of Christ? So while the others doubted Christ's authority to forgive sins, this woman put her faith in Jesus to receive forgiveness. This woman's humility did not save her, nor did her tears or her expensive perfume. It was her faith, her complete trust in the only one who could forgive her sins and save her. Here's what I concluded. The Pharisee invited Jesus into his house. She invited Jesus into her heart and life. And guys, there are many American Christians that have Jesus in their home, but not in their heart. As the worship team comes, I have some applications for you. Number one, these were long, so I, they're not on the screen, but uh, go to the notes online and you can read them for yourselves. We can be quick to judge, and don't miss this, listen with intention. We can be quick to judge the weaknesses of others, to compare ourselves with others, to justify our own sin by pointing the finger at someone else. By doing this, instead of humbly confessing our own sins, the log in our eye, and committing ourselves to serving Jesus as this extravagant worshiper did, we take our place right next to Simon, sitting arrogantly in the presence of the Lord. Another point of application. Pride and perception of others will often keep us from loving God the way we should. And finally, overflowing love is the usual response to forgiveness and the appropriate response, speaking of overflowing love, the appropriate response or result of faith. But only those who acknowledge the depth of their sin can appreciate the total forgiveness God has offered them. Does that make sense? That's so huge to this text. We have to acknowledge the depth of our depravity in order to understand the, the grandeur of the mercy that was extended to us in Christ. And for the nature of this sermon I, and, and its context, I, I, I finish with two questions. And before I do, I'm going to leave you with these questions in order for you to ask the Holy Spirit to examine your heart. All of us have things that need to go. God has a greater work that he continues to want to do in our lives and and we need to be yielded and submitted to, to that work in us. And so the reason we've restructured our worship service today is so that you too 
uh, after, after this moment of challenge and we enter into worship through song, you too can put this into practice. I want to tell you these seat, make your seat an altar. Make this altar your, your place of, of offering and sacrifice. Do whatever is appropriate to you in your relationship with him. Lay aside pride and any sort of perceptions of others and today be willing to be the extravagant worshiper that your Jesus deserves. And do that during this time uh, as we sing. But I leave you with these two thoughts. Do you appreciate the wideness of God's mercy? Are you grateful, grateful for his forgiveness? Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.